Blog Talk Radio. It's the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. It is Friday, March the 11th of 2021. We've got some really good topics here this evening here on the program. We're going to talk a little bit about Tom Brady's new deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Bucks in general, and how their uh, prospects for 2021 are starting to look. Major League Baseball spring training is in full swing here right now. We've got some golf talk here tonight. Uh, definitely some interesting things in the golf world here going on and then also we've got uh LaShawn McCoy is he a hall of famer we're going to get into that discussion here this evening joining me tonight is my co-host Alan he is on the line here tonight Alan how are you I'm doing fantastic thank you for asking really appreciate being on the show and definitely appreciate you Aaron appreciate you tremendously appreciate it I I I appreciate that you appreciate me so (laughs) (laughs) let's get right into it tonight uh this news broke earlier I don't know this afternoon I think is when I saw uh some of the headlines starting to pop up here one that doesn't surprise me at all and that is Tom Brady is gonna be a buccaneer for more than just those two years that he initially agreed to um now I've heard and I don't have the full story in front of me at the moment but I've heard that it is a new deal It'll make him a Buccaneer for four years, including the year he just played. Is that correct? It is correct. He's uh, now signed for four years. He did uh, opt to take less money to keep the team together to free up some some salary cap space for other free agents. And, yeah, Tom Brady is, is signed up for 2022, at least till for the next three years. So, it's a four-year deal, but he, he did play the one year, so he has three years. So he's definitely going to be playing into his late forties, you know, with the Bucks. So he the the main thing is Brady and the Bucks sealing the deal so they could at least bring the band together and come back strong next year because I think it's very very important that they do what they need to do to try to win it next year. And Tom Brady, you know, kudos to him. I mean. Him getting a really nice deal, and, and, his, and he's 43 years old, you can't hate on that. I mean, that's just incredible for him to be taking a pay cut and getting a multi-year deal at the age of 43 here in the NFL as a, as a quarterback. That's just unbelievable. What are your thoughts on Tom Brady's new deal? Well, I mean, I think it's great for him. I think it's great for the Bucks. I think it's a win-win for both sides. Um you know, I think this is a guy that uh, you go back and look at his 20-year career, with the exception of 2008, he's been very healthy for the most part of his entire career. He had that uh, knee injury, I think, at the very beginning of 2008. With the exception of that, it's just been smooth sailing. And, you know, the one thing that I was concerned about when he signed with the Bucks, you know, 20 years or 19 years with the pa- uh, Patriots, he had that great offensive line uh, over the years, was able to you know, give him basically a a wall, you know, to keep him from getting hit too many times. And that 
they proved in Tampa this past season that they could keep him upright and not have him getting, you know, taking too many shots or anything like that. So I think that this is going to work out, I think, as long as he can maintain his arm strength, um, you know, have the playmakers around him. It's a team game, obviously. I think it'll work there. And again, as long as he can stay healthy and not take any, any real shots. And, and if I'm Tampa, I probably don't even play him in the preseason. I think I probably play him for one, one series per game, maybe, maybe two as the uh, preseason gets c- kind of closer to the conclusion, but I don't take any chances with him, you know, and at this point too, I'm just going to throw this out there. Um, you always have to be planning for what's next. And, you know, Tom Brady is that guy who came in because Drew Bledsoe was the starter in New England in 2001. Tom Brady was, you know, obviously the guy who took over for him after the injury occurred. I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world for Tampa to have, uh, you know, a, a reasonable backup quarterback in place. You get a big lead in a game, it's almost like putting a relief pitcher in, you know, don't take any risks of getting this guy hurt. I mean, he's he's the franchise in a sense. And so I think this is a good uh, good good move for both sides. Um, you know, the haters for Tom Brady are going to hate him even more now than they did before. You know, they're they're I know I know, and I know plenty of them who are like, come on, man, retire already. But look, he he can still do it. He still has the drive to do it. He still has the athleticism to do it. And you know, this is a guy that you can't bet against, and you can't tell him no because if you tell him no, he's just going to want to do it all the more. So. Um, I, I I hope it works out for him. I really do. Yeah, I definitely submit those thoughts. You brought some great points, and I hope it really does work out for him and the Bucks. And I have a very good feeling it is, you know, when it comes to retirement, it's really a personal decision. The guy still has a tremendous passion to go out there and play and play at a high level. And if you have that and you're healthy, why why end that? You know, that's my thought with the haters. You know, I went. <laughs> I I went to Thornton's and it was just right after the Bucks won the Super Bowl and the lady who was checking me out she was so salty about Tom Brady and I'm like because she's a Patriots fan and I'm like why are you so angry at him he should have retired he shouldn't have, he shouldn't have came back I'm like well you know the guy wanted to come back he wanted to play and Patriots didn't do their part in keeping him there he decided to go someplace else and won a ring like, you can't hate on that. Like, your Patriots got to take some of that accountability for the situation getting to where it is. Because if I know Tom Brady. If the Patriots really wanted him to come back, he would have came back. He would have been back, yep. He would have been back. It's simple as that. Like, you could just tell the way Tom Brady goes about his business. If, if you really show him you want him, he'll come back. But if you're not showing him you don't want him, the guy still wanted to play, and he's very productive. I mean – the thing that I I felt lacked a little bit in this game, just somewhat, was his his deep ball throws. And I know that is a difficult throw to make as a quarterback. That's the most difficult throw when you throw into a ball ahead of a receiver down mm-hmm. the field. It's not an easy throw to make, but that's where he he maybe lacked a bit in this year. He did make it when it counted, but there was quite a few. He would have probably had another five to ten more touchdowns had he hit him down the field, but he was very, very productive this year. And why retire while you're hot? He's hot right now. He's having fun. And that's the biggest thing. He's having a lot of fun here in Tampa. That, that shows people that you could come down to Tampa and have a great time. Cause the guys, he's, he's having a lot of fun. He's winning. He's got his teammates supporting him. You know what? There's no reason for him 
at this point to retire. I'm happy for him that great new that deal, and that's an unselfish move he made. He he took less money so that the team could keep some of the band together, and that's what he tweeted. Yep. He tweeted he's going for number eight, and he's trying to keep the band together. And so far, a lot of the top prospects have signed. What are your thoughts on on some of the Bucks? Most of them already have already resigned. What are your thoughts on that? Well, no, I think that you know obviously as quickly as this team gelled uh, this year. And, you know, you go back to the very first game of the season, it didn't look very good. It looked like, it, you know, you look at the first game, I think the first pass that Brady threw, if I remember correctly, was a, a pick six against uh, New England, uh, not England, against the New Orleans rather. And after that very first pa- uh, play, you know, the, the first thought in the back of your mind is, man, this is going to be a disaster. This is a terrible idea, <laughs> you know, but obviously <laughs> the first, first impression doesn't always necessarily make the 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 final look if you will um yeah. i think that the team gelled very very quickly um and the scary thing is is they did it as fast as they did and if they have another year or even two more years to really kind of get even better it's not saying they're going to win another super bowl necessarily but they certainly are i, I would i would say right now that the picks and granted there's still a lot of things that are going to happen in free agency and in the drafts and trades and such um you know they're in a position that right now they're probably one of the top three or four teams that's going to be picked to win the super bowl again next year kansas city should be in that in that uh in that list as well but it's good to be able to keep everybody together and if you go back to when tampa won his first super bowl which was 18 years ago now you know that was at the end of that great defense that they had and the difference now and then, obviously things have changed a lot. You have a different coaching staff. The whole team is different than it was way back in those days. But that was the end of a dynasty that they had really built defensively. The following year, um, they moved on from Warren Sapp. They moved on from John Lynch. They moved on from a number of different key pieces. And they couldn't keep that team together. And it kind of makes you wonder if they'd been able to keep that team together back then some of those key pieces if they would have been able to win another ring, you know, at least get to another Super Bowl. So it's nice to see that consistency. I mean, it's definitive probably that five years from now, this won't be the same team as it is here today, but to have at least one, maybe two more seasons where they have a shot to really make another run like they just did is nice to, is nice to see. And I think you got to go back to Thornton's. You got to find that lady who is, uh, who's checking you out the counter there (laughs) And you got to tell her, look, not only did Tom Brady sign with the Bucks after last season, he's going to be a Buck for a while. And look at the Patriots today. Apparently they have signed uh, yeah. Cam Newton to an extension, which I, I'm baffled by that. I can't believe that's happened. Um, uh, you know, I, I honestly thought he was at least done as a starter after this past year and the debacle that kind of ensued there in uh, in New England. Maybe he's there just to give some competition to whoever else they bring in, but um, I definitely think that Tampa is in a much better position quarterback-wise going into this next uh, this next uh, season coming up. Yeah, I mean, definitely the Bucks. I think, have the leg up on the, the, the league. They have to be, if not the first, the second or third team to repeat, especially with them bringing most of the core guys back. You're right. There's a lot that can happen to you now and then, but you have to assume that they're going to be a cut above everybody else, 
probably the closest is the Chiefs. And the reason why I say that is because the other teams and around the league, there's a lot of uncertainty. Is the quarterbacks coming back or they're not? You know, that's the biggest thing. There's a lot of uncertainty with other teams, a lot more so than the Bucks. And the Bucks have a team that now went through the process, went through the trials and tribulations, got to know each other last year and gel really well. This year, they'll kind of know each other already. And not only that, they have more than anything experienced together. And they've been through the trenches. So this team is going to be, you know, if they keep most of the guys to, together, they get a couple of additions along the way. I think they're going to be a very, very tough team to beat next year. And I'm, I'm looking forward to see what they do. Because I would go back to that thought and tell her, hey, you know, <laughs> if you thought it made you bad <laughs> and that Tom got one, well, he's already looking for number eight. And that's, a, that's what makes Tom Brady so great is that he's bored already because he wants to get another ring and get back at it. You know, that, that shows you how much of a goat he is, is that he's just never satisfied. And you know what? I'm glad he's on our team and our side because, man, he's just, he's just a competitor. And you brought up a great point about Cam Newton. That is true. Cam Newton did sign a one-year extension. I looked at the terms of the agreement. It is very similar to the agreement he got last year for the Patriots, with the exception that there is much more uptick if the team does well. It's a it's the same. It's a performance latent contract, very little base money. I believe it was just slightly over a million dollars in base money, but he has a lot more potential in this contract than the first contract. For example, if the team makes the playoffs, he gets a nice bigger bonus because of that. They win a playoff game. He gets another big bonus. So he can make up to 14, not 14 million in incentives. So he can go from a million up to 14 million. So he has definitely all the world of incentives this year to go out and play hard. I'm going to kind of respectfully disagree with you in the fact that it did not surprise me that the Patriots did re-sign Cam only because he is probably their best option at this point. You know, if you bring in another quarterback, if you bring in a guy like Russell Wilson, if he becomes available, or even Deshaun Watson, he's got to learn the system all over again. He's got to get affirmated with the offense all over again. And it's like a, a rebuilding of another year. Whereas you have Cam Newton, if he does play well, he did start off the year really well. If he does continue to play well, the team can at least make the playoffs. So I, I think he's the lesser, he's the better of all the options available right now. So it did not surprise me that they did re-sign him because of the fact that, yes, he didn't make the playoffs, and yes, he was not no Tom Brady. But I do feel as if Cam, if he does play well, the team can make the playoffs. What are you, your thoughts on Cam Newton re-signing and his thoughts of him, the Patriots, maybe making the playoffs now with him re-signing for a second year? Well, I can't really speak to the playoff picture for the Patriots yet because there's so many incomplete parts, uh, you know, the, the offseason hasn't figured out yet. You know, we know what the draft looks like. We don't know what the rest of free agency and trade are going to look like. Inevitably, there's injuries in training camp and in preseason. So it's a little too early to make that kind of a prediction. I do agree with you on, you know, him being their best option. Now, I don't think this is necessarily the Patriots signing him and saying ironclad, hey, he is our starter going into 2021, because if you read further into some of the articles out there, you know, there's the rumors of 
Jimmy Garoppolo going back to New England. And, you know, obviously there's possibilities with the draft. And there are still going to be several, I think, uh, quarterback moves that are made over the next couple of months. Uh, the, the closer we get to the draft, I think you're going to see some some trades that go down that are going to kind of kind of spark, you know, be surprising more than anything else. Um, yeah, so that's definitely, I mean, it's one of those things. I definitely do think that the the Patriots did the best of what they can do. And the contract is not, you know, they did a, a smart Patriot move in regard that it's not a contract that they're putting out a lot of money. They're putting out a lot of money as far as what they need to do. So definitely, I, I definitely think um, it's good in that regard that uh, they have a contract that's not costing them a lot, not going to sell out a lot of money. I definitely do think that's it's good in that regard. But I definitely hope that Cam Newton does well and he goes ahead and it has a very good year and helps out the Patriots and helps them get to where they need to go and helps them win some games so he can take advantage of some of that performance latent contract because in this in the NFL you you really not promised another year or years afterwards. So you definitely want to take advantage of your opportunities. They got a real blessing that the the Patriots are willing to sign them and also give another opportunity at it, especially being that they didn't make the playoffs. So I think he needs to look at that and say, you know what? I got an opportunity here. Let me go ahead and do it and go ahead and make the most of it and go ahead and, and make it happen. And I'm glad that we got a, Aaron back on the line and, and <laughs> that's our first uh, that's our first technical glitch here we've ever really had on the show. All the other ones were our fault, so I don't know what happened there. But uh, I, I was starting to say there that you know, I, I, and I don't know where I cut off at where where you heard me, but um, you know, again, I don't think he was necessarily re-signed to be the ironclad starter going into 2021. I think there's going to be some moves that'll probably get made over the next several months, and I think it's just going to be a wait and see kind of a thing, but. I think it's a good move because, you know, again, he signed so late with the Patriots last year, didn't have time to learn the offense, didn't have time to really mesh with the team because there wasn't the normal preseason and offseason drills and stuff going on. So, you know, maybe another year, you know, with some, some continuity there will help him out. And again, I'm all about competition. You know, I think when you sometimes have, you're back against the wall. You know your job might be on the line. You know there's that next guy coming in who might outplay you, and he might be the future, you know, star of the team. It makes you play that much harder, and that may be very well where he is at. Um, I do definitely think he's closer to the end than he is to the beginning. I think it's a fair assessment there. But I think that if you bring in another quarterback or maybe two more quarterbacks, maybe assign somebody as a free agent, and then you draft a quarterback, which is most likely – going to also happen it just makes the competition that much better and with Bill Belichick and his history of you know what he's done with with the quarterback position I don't think it's a bad thing at all and so hopefully um, you know somehow that works out for the Patriots and somehow it works out for Cam Newton and if it doesn't I'm sure he will get another opportunity to play elsewhere because again you, you look at Washington as an example and he played for Ron Rivera for several years they may have some potential need there at some point. So we'll have to kind of wait and see as, uh, as things develop going over the next year or so. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely wish Ken the best. And, you know, he's got a great opportunity and it was a smart move on both sides because the Patriots don't have to dish out a lot of money up front, that is, so they can help out with getting some other people. And it's great contract for Cam because, you know, the better you play, the deeper your team goes, the bigger that contract becomes. So he has a lot more uptick this year. And I wish uh, the Patriots and Cam Newton all the best. Congratulations on both Cam Newton as well as Tom Brady and their big deals. Also, you know, they did sign Chris Godwin. on. on so definitely congratulations, Chris Godwin, on his, his big deal, too. Which brings me to the question of the day, and <laughs> that is, do you feel if LaShawn McCoy is a Hall of Famer? Well, I don't have his numbers in front of me at the moment, and I, I have to look at him more more closely to kind of analyze whether he is or isn't. Um, you know, the NFL, the, the interesting thing about the NFL Hall of Fame-wise versus, let's just say, baseball to put it into perspective or give like a point of reference, the hall of fame for baseball. And I know we've debated this time and time again on the show, the two things that typically on, in baseball hall of famers that you look at are where do you rank all time in whatever category you were the most prolific at home runs, hits, what, what have you wins as a pitcher, strikeouts, that kind of stuff versus where did you rank during the era that you played in? NFL is a little bit different. Um, you get guys who had shorter careers. I'll use uh, Kurt Warner as an example. Had a great career, but it was all, all but you know, pretty short. And he played for for three different teams and had pretty good success with two of those teams. Actually, went to a Super Bowl with two two different franchises. He's one of only four players that ever did that. So the the criteria for an NFL Hall of Famer regardless of what position that they play is a little bit different. I, I would say he's definitely on the fringe at the very minimum. Again, I have to look at his numbers a little bit more, more closely and kind of look at him compared to guys he played with and around and, and kind of where he ranks as a player who played as many years in the league as he did. And I, I, I'm struggling to think how many years was he in the league, 12 or 10? Do you, you have that there in front of you? Yes, I'll definitely get that for you. But uh, <laughs> the reason why I bring it is because with LaShawn McCoy, he had said that his his argument right off the bat was the fact that he had gotten two rings. And I'm like, he that was his thing. He got two rings. And I'm like, okay, you did. But the prevalence that you get in those two rings isn't what, what I would start saying as <laughs> – your your number one argument. So he's been in the league now for 11 years. This will be his uh, 2021. Yeah. So he started in 2010. That's when he took over the running back of the Eagles. So. See, I've, I've got it here. He's got 11,102 yards. So just basically 1,000 yards a year. As a runner, I, I mean, borderline. I mean, yeah, it's great that he has two Super Bowl rings, but, you know, how many other guys have two Super Bowl rings? That, that's not going to be, uh, you know, that and 75 cents will get you a cup of coffee at the 7-Eleven. So <laughs> um, <laughs> I think looking more more down to his career highlights and, and awards, you know, he's a six-time Pro Bowler. That certainly isn't going to hurt him. 
um, two-time first-team All-American, or sorry, two-time first-team All-Pro. Um, he actually won the rushing title in 2013. So those are things that are going to help him out. And then he was also on the uh, the All-Decade team for the 2010s. So, I mean, he's got some big things there. Um, you had a pretty solid uh, college career at Pittsburgh. I, I, I don't know if those numbers are going to necessarily translate to a Hall of Fame career. Like I said before, I think he's kind of more – more on the cusp or on the fringe. I think he probably need to play, have another solid year, you know, in order to, to get there. Um, I wouldn't be shocked. He's definitely not first ballot. I don't think that's a, a question at all. I mean, if, if a guy like John Lynch, who just got in this year, was on the ballot for three or four years, doesn't get in on the first ballot, then LaShawn McCoy probably doesn't get in on the first ballot either. So. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, with LaShawn McCoy, I don't think he should start his argument of him being a Hall of Famer with, I got two rings. I, I just think that, okay, you should talk about the body of your work first, then the rings, because in both rings, you didn't play one single snap. You know, yeah. yes, you had two rings, but you didn't play any snaps in those rings. And in leading up to it, you didn't play much in the championship or the playoff games either. Yeah. So. I don't think that should be your argument. I, I agree with you. I, I'm looking at his numbers here. And I would say maybe not first ballot, but his, his resume is actually pretty good. I, I would say I would have – I think it would have been a slam dunk had he had two to maybe three more real solid years. I think it would have been a slam I dunk. I think for a running back, I think because, you know, the running back, even the great running backs, eight to ten, maybe 12, 12 years is a long time for a running back, let's be honest. I mean, guys – yeah, Usually when they true. reach twenty eight to twenty nine, they're on the they're on the downswing of their career because they get beat up so much, their knees are torn up, um, they have hamstring issues. And, you know, let's be honest too, the team they play for drafts somebody else to take over for them. And running backs also aren't used the same way as they were twenty and thirty years ago. So um looking at the automatic numbers, I think probably 13 or 14,000 rushing yards is pretty much an automatic to get in. Yeah. Um, but again, you look at, again, the, the, the thing that kind of strikes me that kind of, again, puts him more as a fringe player or more as a, you know, on the cusp or kind of maybe even on the outside looking in 11 year career, just a hair over 11,000 career yards. So you're basically a thousand yard a season rusher. There's a ton of those guys out there that, that played 10, 11 years in the league. And not all those guys are going to be Hall of Famers. So it's going to be kind of hard, in my opinion. I think the thing that's going to help him, though, looking at some of those things, is the fact that, again, he was a six-time Pro Bowler. Again, that can't hurt you. So my question to you is, him starting the argument that I got two Super Bowl rings, is that a good <laughs> argument for him? <laughs> no, because, I, granted, two is better than one, or two is better than zero, but you, you made the point there he didn't play in either one of the games. Um, if we're going to have the argument of I got two Super Bowl rings or I got a ring in general, well, my goodness, then Trenton Dilfer, you know, he won a Super Bowl with one of the best defenses in the history of the NFL. He should be a Hall of Famer. Or, you know, um, you know, who, who was a quarterback with the Eagles a few years ago? Uh, Nick Foles, he won a Super Bowl with the Eagles, luckily. You know, is he a Hall of Famer because he won a Super Bowl? I don't think so. So, <laughs> I mean <laughs> – <laughs> you, have to, you have to be really careful about the, the argument about the rings. I get the the idea. I mean, if I'm Jerry Rice, 
in my argument, like Jerry Rice, if he wasn't a Hall of Famer today, say he had just retired last year. Well, his Hall of Fame resume for why he would be in the Hall of Fame would be, okay, well, I'm one of the top receivers in the history of the league, statistically speaking. Uh, I think at the time when he retired, he had the most touchdown catches uh, of any receiver of all time. Um, won a Super Bowl MVP, and oh yes, he also won three or four Super Bowls. You put that at the end. That's kind of the cherry on top, if you will. You got to have the accolades and the statistics and some of the individual stuff that goes first to say you're a Hall of Famer, because the Hall of Fame isn't about a team. The Hall of Fame is really about the player individually. So yes, the team aspect of it is great, but if you're trying to you know, have the team carry you into the Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, it doesn't work quite that way. So, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I'm like, all right, you like, he brought up the, the point, and I'm like, I'm a Hall of Fame because I got two Super Bowl rings. I'm like, yes, you were real dominant with the Eagles, but I would not, I really like Shady, and I think he's a great guy. I would love to have him on our show, the Allen and Aaron Sports Radio Show, but I don't think he should start his argument. I deserve to be in the Hall of Fame because I got two rings. That would possibly be a good argument if you played in what's very productive in those rings. Yes, you got a ring. You got two. You are on the roster, which is definitely kudos. A lot of people can't say they're on a roster of a team that got a ring. But I would not start that because you did not play in the games, neither one of them, not one snap. And you really didn't play in the games leading up to the Super Bowl either. So – I wouldn't use that as an argument. I would just say I think I'm a Hall of Famer because of my body of work. If you look at my stats, the numbers are really good, and go with that. I, I wouldn't use the, the two times you got a ring. I mean, it doesn't hurt, but I don't see where it benefits you if people who know what you did during those two Super Bowls, and usually the people who are voting know what you did or didn't do. So I wish him the best in his Hall of Fame career. I personally don't think he's – I agree with you. I don't think he's first ballot. I think he might be on the outskirts of getting it. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if he got voted into Hall of Fame, but I wouldn't give him first ballot because you're basically saying if you give him first ballot, he's in the same category as a Gronk or Tom Brady. And I can't, I can't make that stretch to say, you know, you're first ballot just like Tom Brady or Gronk is. No – even if Gronk didn't play this last year and got a ring, he's still, in my opinion, the first ballot Hall of Famer. And he had he didn't have such a relatively long career in NFL, but his body of work, his individual play, both during the postseason, the Super Bowl, and during the regular season has been remarkable. So to me, even if he didn't play with the Bucks this last year and he stayed retired, he was going to be Hall, first ballot Hall of Fame. So when you're right, I, to your point, you got to look at the what you have done during your career, and you can look at what you've done in the playoffs and things of that nature. But that can't be like your argument that I got a couple of rings and rings that you didn't even play in. So now let me I let me make the, an argument. Let me make an argument for him uh, if we're gonna if we're gonna go down because you know we can look at both sides here. I, I'm pulling up here right now Thurman Thomas, and um, for the younger listeners out there. Uh, who were not around in the early 90s. The Buffalo Bills in the early 90s were one of the most fun, enjoyable teams to watch. They were kind of the underdog. Um, you've heard the Bills story. You know, they went to four four consecutive Super Bowls, lost all four of them, unfortunately. 
Thurman Thomas was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2007, and I have his numbers in front of me right now. He played 13 seasons, and he had well, – granted, the last season he was with Miami, and he was kind of at the end of his career. He was a five-time pro bowler in those 12, 13 years and had uh, just over 12,000 yards. So the averages there are about the same as LaShawn McCoy. So from that perspective, you could make the argument – well, there's some similarities. Now, I would also look at it, too, from a perspective of, you know, a completely different era. The running back was used differently back then. Um, nowadays, you've got three backs. You have, a, you have a, a running back for each down, essentially, at this point in, in yeah. football. The full the fullback position has basically been almost done away with. They don't use them the same way they used to. Um but I, I mean, this this would be what would bolster the argument. And if you're just comparing some of the, the, you know, career awards and highlights, you know, Sean McCoy had one more Pro Bowl appearance than Thurman Thomas. And Thurman Thomas at the early '90s was probably one of the top two or three backs in the league. I mean, the only other guys I can think of that were probably on par with him would have been, of course, the all-time leader in Emmett Smith, and. You had some other pretty good backs in the early to mid-90s. Ricky Waters when he was with San Francisco and Philadelphia. Um, Barry Sanders, obviously, and what he was doing with Detroit. But, again, I, I, to me it's a different era. So I think this would bolster his argument, though, for that. But I would definitely not lead with, hey, I got two Super Bowl rings. I mean, again, that's not going to necessarily get you where you want to go. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree with you on that. It's just so LaShawn McCoy, if you're listening, don't start off with that argument. Talk about, hey, compare my numbers to even a Thurman Thomas. You know, that's that's actually more solid. I'm looking at Thurman Thomas numbers and yeah, they're very similar to what as far as statistically to what Shady has done. And if Shady does play another year and has a you know, does get an opportunity to play some more and adds to that those running rushing yards, he can make a very good argument. So I'm glad I did check into it because his uh, first statement, I got two rings, was like, what? You got two rings? That's what you're starting off with? <laughs> then I looked into it. <laughs> he does have a good point. And, I, you know, I just think he needs to sell it or spin it a little differently. I agree with you in a different way. But if he does spin it in a different way, his numbers actually look very good. And – he could be in there, just like Thurman Thomas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's 100% correct. So, um, and, you know, I wanted to comment on something last week because I was out last week. We had Matt filling in um, probably, what, it was about 10 days ago, maybe close to two weeks ago now. Um, big surprise. Didn't see this happening. Um, J.J. Watt going to the, the Cardinals. Um you know, I just wanted to throw this comment out there uh, on him in free agency. He didn't win a single ring or didn't have a chance to win a ring there in Houston, and I just don't think he's going to have a chance to win one in Arizona either. I think that was a that was all about the money. Um, <laughs> I just don't think that was a good good place for him <laughs> to end up. I, I I honestly thought if he wasn't going to go to Green Bay, which Green Bay seemed like it was calling him home, given that he's from that area and he grew up a Packer fan, I really thought him going to either Cleveland or Pittsburgh would have been more more of a place where he'd have a shot to win than than going to Arizona. I just think that that was, you know, maybe a little bit uh, out of left field. I think they offered him more guaranteed money, and I think that was really what drew him to to making that decision. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I, I don't see how the money did not sway his decision. I, I definitely agree with you on that. I was, I was, I remember was talking about JJ Watt going to free agency before he signed the deal, and the fact that I was was telling you that I was not surprised that he's. I was thinking he was going to sign with a team where there was going to be nice weather. So it did not surprise me him come from Texas, signing with the team like the Cardinals in regard of, of weather and temperature. So that part I was not surprised on that he signed with a team that has pretty nice weather. I was surprised though, that he did sign with the Cardinals just because one of his arguments, like you said, to your point was that he wanted to play for a contender and he didn't feel as if the Texans put him in a best position to be in a position to get a ring. And I, I agree with you. I think the Cardinals are up and coming, very good team, but they're not on the they're not on the same class as I would put even the Saints, Green Bay, the Bucks, the uh, Kansas City. They're not on that level. You know, they're up and coming. They're a very good team. You know, they're but they're not on that level of teams that you would want to kind of go to that would immediately give you a chance with a missing piece or two to win a win a game. Win a, I even think Brady coming coming to the Bucks is a better opportunity before they won the Super Bowl than it would be for JJ Watt to go to Arizona. You know, they got a lot of things that they need to kind of work out in Arizona. You know, they they the offensive line is one. They don't have the world's greatest offensive line. So I yeah, it did surprise me. I definitely do agree with you. I think that guaranteed money was the biggest factor in it. You could say it wasn't, but how are you going to tell me that you went to a team that you felt as if you had the, a very good chance of winning? I, I just don't see that being really the case. You're right. The Steelers or the Packers, I feel, immediately give them a very, very good opportunity of, of winning because you play with the Packers, uh, you, you're right there. And if you play with the Steelers, you have your brother, you're right there too. So. Yeah. I think this is a cash grab. What are your thoughts on it? I just think it wasn't the, I mean, if, if the argument the whole time was he wanted to be in a place where he was going to contend, I'm not sure the weather is really going to make a difference because they're playing inside in Arizona. I mean, I realize it's a retractable roof, but the weather probably isn't necessarily a factor there. I think he would have been better off, honestly, if he wasn't going to go to one of the three teams that I thought he was going to go to, which was Green Bay, Pittsburgh, and Cleveland. I honestly thought he might end up with uh, with Tennessee, which would have been a really good fit too. Um, you know, great great defensive minded coach there in uh, Mike Rabel would have been a great fit for leadership purposes on that team. Obviously, they've been trying to get past you know the first or second round of the playoffs these last couple of years as well. So that would have been a really nice fit, I think. Um, but again, it just it was a head scratcher um, when I got that notification on my phone saying, hey, he had signed with. Uh, with uh, with Arizona and to a point though yeah. I, I look at it this way you know the injury history that he has it may be the, the the risk isn't worth the reward potentially when you sign him because you look at he's had two or three times in his career where he's gotten injured halfway through the season and missed the rest of the season so you just you have to be kind of careful with that kind of stuff and he's you know he's getting older now so so in a sense you know, the teams who didn't sign him, maybe they did, uh, in a sense, dodge a bullet, so. Yeah, I mean, 
you're right. I mean, for him to get that type of contract with that much guaranteed money with the injuries this late in the career, you know, you really can't fault him for that. You know, he's trying to get the best deal available for him. But I just do I, – I did scratch my head a bit like, okay, you were saying the whole time you wanted to go with a contender. You may have gotten a little less money going to a contender, but to go to Arizona, that was a head scratcher too. That did surprise me of all the teams that was thrown out there that he might possibly go to. I mean, I, I felt he was going to go to a team with pretty good weather. I didn't think it was going to be Arizona, though. I really <laughs> He would have been better off, honestly, if he'd gone to maybe Miami. Um, I think that would have been a great fit for him too, with with the the team how you know how close they are to being a really good team there in South Florida. That would have been a nice, uh, I think, fit for him too. And uh, again, it just it's one of those things. And maybe maybe he knows something about the Cardinals that we don't. You know, maybe there's you know there's been some there's a rumor that came out the other day, and I've heard a lot of this stuff the last two or three weeks or month or so. Um, where some mega deal on the table where uh, Arizona and Houston were going to swap quarterbacks and draft picks, you know, maybe that happens. I mean, I know that uh, Arizona ended up with um, the wide receiver. I can't think of his name uh, from Houston last, uh, last year. So, you know, maybe there's, what's that? Hopkins. Yeah. Yeah. I can think of his name. Um, You know, maybe somehow something like that occurs. Again, you never know what could happen. There's a lot of, you know, backroom talk, if you will, and trade rumors and things like that do start to, to come up. So, you know, maybe if there's something he knows that we don't know, maybe that's one of the reasons he went there. But if it is about being on a contender and a team that's already got a shot, he, I don't think he was any better off going to to uh, Arizona than he would have been staying in Houston, to be real honest with you. So. Yeah, I mean, he probably uptick better in Houston because there's so much – so such a crash that's going on over there, but he didn't really do much better as far as putting himself a contender. I'll say that much. And not that the Arizona are a bad team, but they're not one of the better teams in the league. I will say that much. So I, I definitely think he, he's got a, he got some things to do to work out over there. That's for sure. And, you know, they got DeAndre Hopkins over there in Arizona. Maybe yeah. you want to play with him. And they got a very, very good quarterback, but I, I just think they're a couple years away from being where the better teams are. That's why I feel that the Bucks really need to cash in and do their best to get a ring next year because I feel like they can get a ring next year, I think, easier than they got one this year if they put all the pieces together because I think the league is about a year or two away from them. Once two years go by, the teams mm-hmm. – once this season goes by, I think the team's going to catch up to the better teams. So you have another year to kind of get ahead of the game, and that's it. Yeah, no, that's – Yeah. That's 100%, uh, 100% correct there. So uh, moving on to some uh, to some other uh, other stuff in the world of sports. Uh, NFL obviously is, is uh, really big in, you know, free agents and uh, – potential trades and stuff like that. But Major League Baseball getting kicked off here in these last uh, 10 days or so. I have had the opportunity actually uh, last weekend to get to two games uh, during spring training, probably the only two I'll get to go to because tickets are very scarce right now. And the ones that are still available 
will cost you an arm and a leg to uh, to attend. So I choose to not do that. Um, but I did get a chance last Friday. Uh, took my wife and a couple friends out to a game down in Northport. Um, you know, obviously 2020 and up until even now has been a much different world than we had been used to living in in the past. So it was nice to get out there to see fans in the stands, to see a, a baseball game going on, to have, you know, the smell of baseball, the smell of the grass, the smell of the peanuts and the beer and the food and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, to hear the crack of the bat and somebody hit a, get a base hit and, uh, you know, plays being made and people cheering. It was just a nice thing to get back to that. And I also got to go to a game Sunday down in Fort Myers. Um, it's definitely good to see, and it's going to be a fun baseball season. It's going to be a regular year. I know some of the teams have announced capacities and things of that nature. I know that I think Texas is the only team right now that's going to start with a full full capacity of fans. Obviously, they're going to uh, be safe about it and everything, but um, good uh, good to see things kind of getting back to normal, if you will. Uh, what are your thoughts on where we're at there on, on the the fans and spring training and everything going on? I think it's awesome. I, I definitely think it's great that things are starting to open up. You know, I mean, COVID is still out there. People need to understand that. Don't get uh, too elated just yet. But it is a lot more encouraging than what we had last year. Last year around this time is when things started to close up slowly but surely. They started to pull things back. And that's when it was like the beginning of the end was around this time. <laughs> but I think it's yep. great. <laughs> You have fans that are the, the baseball season is scheduled to go ahead and start, as you mentioned, on time. It, it, they're going to have all the games. You know, it's limited capacity. You have, and for what I understand, you have to wear a mask too. How was that experience too? Before I finish my thoughts on spring training, were you required, for what I understand, to wear masks during the game? Is that right? Um, well, I went to two different parks in two different cities, and uh, the way they had it set up, this is kind of unique, I thought. Um, they were selling the tickets in packs of four. So if you had a group of, you know, more than four people, you were going to be sitting away from each other. The seats that were in both parks anyways, the seats that were not being able to be used were zip tied off. So they didn't, you know, fold down. So they did a really good job of making sure that there was no way for people to sit next to each other if they weren't supposed to. Um, The game in Northport if you were up and moving around, you're going to get some concessions. If you're going to use the restroom or, you know, leaving the park or going into the shops, they were requiring that you had a mask on at your seat though. It was kind of, if you want to have it on, you can, if not, you can take it off. But again, if you get up and move around, go ahead and put it back on. And then in Fort Myers on Sunday, they basically said, Hey, keep the mask on the entire time unless you're eating food, you know, or having a beverage. So, um, everyone was in compliance. It was nice to see everyone, you know, and I think people are so (laughs) ready for, for, um, you know, for uh, there to be ball games again, and they're willing to do whatever they can to make sure everyone is safe. So it's nice to, to see everybody playing on the same team in this case to make that happen. Yeah, that is encouraging because to, to have it where people are compliant, following the rules, that makes it better for, for the fans when you follow the rules, because if you don't follow the rules, then teams will be more reluctant to let more people in. 
they'll be more reluctant to do their part of keeping you safe. And on top of it, they'll put on more restrictions. So just follow the rules, wear your mask. You know, it's, it's going on a year now. You should know pretty much what is required of you. Right now, if you want to do an event and it's a, so, a sporting event, more than likely they're going to have the same rule in place where you're going to have to wear a mask unless you're eating or drinking. That's usually pretty much the way the, the law of the land. When you're going through the common parts, that's uh, usually when you have to mask up most of the time where they really want you to wear a mask because that's where you could be walking by and someone could walk by and then you could contract something that quickly. So I think it's good to have these measures in place. You know, you still, you have the vaccine, but it's not everybody's gotten the shots. And I still think we're a little bit away. We're getting closer for things to be back to normal. We're getting, you know, step closer. We're still a ways away, but it's encouraging that you get a chance to at least go to a game. I think that's remarkable that you can, you know, I did see in some of the outfields where they had it marked off, where they had, <laughs> we had <home> run. <laughs> yep. That was the unique thing to see those berms with the, uh, you know, 10 or I think it was 10 by 10 or 12 by 12 square. Normally those things are filled with people and beach towels and, you know, you know, blankets and that kind of stuff. And there's probably, I don't know, 500 people on them at all times. It's so weird to see, you know, there's probably, I don't know, nine to 12, you know, squares and you only have X amount of people who can get, uh, you know, into each of them. That was the other thing that was kind of strange too. Um, going to a game with, you know, last, last Friday, it was Minnesota and Atlanta, you know, two fan bases that are pretty popular for the most part. Atlanta is probably a little bit more popular than Minnesota's is, but to only see about maybe 22 to 2,500 people at a game to see a lot of empty seats. That was kind of, kind of unique to see that, but you know, slowly, and you made a good point there, slowly we're going to get back to normal and eventually this will all be an afterthought. Yeah, it's it, it's definitely slowly a slow process, but it is is something that we are going to eventually get back to normal. I I did see as you mentioned where the Texans uh, the the Rangers I should say the Rangers are going to be at full capacity opening day. I know that that's they're making a bold you know making a bold move and doing that. I don't know if I would say full capacity. I don't know if I'm that bold to say okay get it to full capacity. I would have some reservations about that, but they are going to put some protocols in place. You know, when you have something where you're that close to people, even in a berm, I, I kind of think it's actually kind of cool. The fact that they did separate things. I know that people are quick to criticize COVID for a lot of things, but some things are actually, I don't think a bad thing in the berm. I didn't like it where people was, was mounting together to get a, to get a baseball. I understand you want to get a baseball, but you hounding each other to get one, <laughs> you know, I know <laughs> it was pre-COVID, but I just think it was a little bit overkill. Like, okay, you don't have to be jumping on my back, man, while I'm drinking a soda, eating my hot dog to get a baseball. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, I know you want to get a baseball, but come on, dude. Like, you don't got to be jumping on my back to get one. And I felt like it was a little, a little too much. You know, guys are – especially when they didn't catch the ball, it was worse. When he didn't catch the ball and people were converging on getting the ball, it was like the three stooges come together to, you know, to, to grab a baseball and someone could get hurt, let alone COVID. 
I just thought that maybe to keep people spaced out a bit, it's probably not a bad idea. I think it keeps people, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> keeps people a little bit more civil, if anything. That's my thoughts. What are your thoughts on, on the berm pre-COVID and now COVID? What are your thoughts on that? Not a fan, a fan of the berm as far as sitting on it. Um, now, I've been plenty of times where I was there during batting practice or just during you know training drills and you know, there's maybe 10 people out there. So getting a baseball, you have a lot more of a chance. It's not a comfortable place to sit. I mean, if you even if you have a blanket or uh, a towel to sit on, it's not very fun. You know, you're trying to get comfortable. You, you know, it's almost like you're tossing and turning, but you're awake during it all. So uh, it's a good place yeah. to go if you're kind of like a a beach type person who likes to just kind of lay around. But um, I definitely prefer having an actual seat. To be honest with you, I'd much rather stand than sit on the berm. But it's a great idea. You know, I think that uh, one of the first places that actually had that 20-some years ago was when the Braves were actually over at Disney. Uh, they they trained there for about 20 years, and that's the first place I can ever remember seeing it. And then all the other parks have kind of implemented that too, um, you know, to a degree. I know here in Lakeland, you have the Tigers. They have at uh, Joker Marshall Stadium, they have a berm. Um, they've got one at um, park down in uh, Port Charlotte. Um, and I've been to a few other places where they have something kind of similar. And even uh, last uh, Sunday in Fort Myers uh, was Minnesota plan. They have one as well there. So it's a cool feature. It allows more people into the park, you know, in normal circumstances, of course, than you would normally have. Um, Cause you don't have to have seats for it. Usually those seats are pretty inexpensive, but just to give you an idea where the market is for tickets right now, um, they put out spring training tickets on Ticketmaster, I believe it was, probably two or three weeks ago. They were all gone within 15 minutes of their sale date or sale time. And so you go to the secondary market, and I got lucky and got some on there last weekend. However, some of the tickets, even for the berms, are going for $75 or more a piece. And I don't know about you, if I'm going to go pay $75 for a ticket, first of all, it's got to be a regular season game. <laughs> and second of all, I got to have an actual seat. So. <laughs> yeah, that is a lot of money. I mean, it's kind of reminds me of how it was with during the Super Bowl. I really wanted to go to the Super Bowl here in Tampa Bay. Had the ticket prices been somewhat reasonable. I was willing to go as high as about 3,500 to four grand. Well, you know what? That was a pipe dream for me because no ticket was around thirty five hundred to four grand. Even like towards the close kickoff of the game, if you bought a last minute ticket, it was around six grand. That was at the very lowest. But it was wow. it was holding steady at around at around seventy five hundred to ten grand. Seventy five hundred to ten grand, somewhere in that range. It was holding pretty steady at that that point, that price point. And this, uh, granted, it's a limited capacity game. You had some people who worked in the nursing field get in for free. You know, if you were, if you did get both shots at the time, you know, now Johnson Johnson has one shot, but back then they had, if you had taken the two shots and proved that you'd taken them, you would have get a chance and you were selected too. It wasn't just, mm -hmm. you, you, you got two shots, you get to go. No, you had to be selected. My neighbor actually was very fortunate enough to be one of the people that was selected and, you know, she was able to go to the game for free. It was just a ticket for her. Her spouse, significant other, wasn't able to go. But that was pretty cool 
but again, it was it was way, way, way too high. I know that they gave the person who been to every single Super Bowl a deal around twenty five hundred three grand. I could be off a little bit, but he didn't pay six or seven grand to go. But that's someone who's been in a Super Bowl every single year. Yeah, so the, ticket, yeah. the tickets were very, very, very expensive and ridiculously expensive. And that's kind of the only that's some of the downfall of being limited capacity is that the tickets that are available, it's supply and demand. Very small supply, <laughs> yeah. high demand. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, the demand is already yeah. high enough anyways in a regular year. So when you take away the fact that, you know, they were only going to have like 25% capacity, that right there automatically makes it four times the normal demand. So, um, you know, if you can get to the Super Bowl in your lifetime, it's great, but it's it's not an easy thing to get to. No, you're absolutely right. It's not easy. Unless you're LaShawn McCoy and you get to go to two of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get to go to two of them. And then, yep. you know, you put the bid to be the Hall of Famer because of it. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> but, yeah, it's not easy to make it to a Super Bowl, and it's not easy to make to go, hey, unless you got a lot of money, too, it's not even easy as a fan to go to a game, you know, <laughs> a Super Bowl, let alone play in one. But exactly. it's good that you had the experience to go to a to two games. How was the actual game itself, the actual experience of the game? Well, I got to tell you, they're doing some interesting stuff this year. And I think it's, it's, you know, they spring training is when they do weird experiments with, you know, things like replay, which, you know, they started doing that probably in 2014, I want to say, and obviously it's here to stay now. Um, they did this really strange thing where they were only playing seven innings in the game on Friday and what I thought was really weird is they said we're going to play a full seven-inning game. So the Braves are the home team, and they actually – I think they had the – yeah, they had the lead. I think they were at four to nothing or five to nothing, something like that. So after the Twins made the final out in the top of the seventh, normally you'd think, okay, everybody's going to get up and go home. Well, a lot of the crowd was starting to head out from their seats, and everybody stayed on the field, and the Braves actually batted again. So they actually played all the way through seven full innings, there wasn't like an automatic, hey, this is over because there's no chance for the, the visiting team to come back and win. So I thought that was kind of peculiar. Um, they're also doing this thing, and I don't quite understand it, where after 20 pitches, if the manager of the team who's pitching feels like the, the pitcher has had enough, they can take the team off the field and go to the next inning, which, again, I don't quite understand. I do get the seven-inning thing from a perspective of, hey, okay, last year – you started, you stopped, and then you started again, but you only played a 60-game schedule, so you're you're conditioned to a shorter year. So kind of ramping things up to a regular game with regular nine innings is going to take a little bit more time. So I get that from a being safe perspective, but it's just weird to see non-regular baseball stuff occurring. Um, it's kind of a head-scratcher in a sense. But everything, I think once the regular season kicks off, we're going to be right back to what we normally had, you know, 2019 and, and back. I uh, also want to throw out there today, uh, today too, I know we uh, we kind of posted about this. Uh, I put it on my personal Facebook page. I know there was some stuff we put on our uh, on our, uh, our uh, Allen and Aaron sports page. Um, one of my all-time favorite guys with, with uh, just in baseball in general Announced his retirement today. Uh, Nick Marcakis, 15 years in the league, great player, great guy to be around. Wouldn't be shocked if he's back in the game at 
some point as maybe a coach or even a manager. Um, this guy had almost 2,400 career hits, um, kind of a quiet player. Um, definitely made it count when he, when he, you know, when he hit, um, pretty excellent defender, actually probably an underrated defensive outfielder more than anything else. And I think if he'd played a couple more years, he would have really needed to to play every day, but he had a shot at 3000 hits. He was, you know, 600 or so away. Um, probably not a hall of famer, even with excellent numbers. Usually 3000 is going to get you in automatically. So probably come up a little bit short there, but, um, really a great clubhouse guy. He was really great with Atlanta these last five or six years. And his career really got started when he was at the Baltimore Orioles. Um, he had some really great seasons there in Baltimore before going to Atlanta. Uh, so kudos to him on a great career and, and uh, 15 years in the league. He, he had a he had a really good time and uh, wish him the best in his retirement. Um, I know you also wanted to bring up a little bit of, uh, of golf news here this evening. Yeah, I did. I definitely want to congratulate Bryson, you know, DeChambeau and his big win, winning the Bay Hill. And I want to talk about Bryson a bit. He did, he did, um, you know, he did like my comment on Instagram, which if he's listening, I appreciate that. I basically said a week of basically defending Bryson for him to come through and actually win the tournament. I feel vindicated basically from, from all the hate. Bryson <laughs> is, <laughs> is an interesting it's just a guy. I mean, he's definitely unconventional, like I said in the comment. But the guy's a legit golfer. I don't get it. Like, golf fans love Happy Gilmore. And this is the example I use. You love Happy Gilmore because of the fact that he can – he was a mythical golfer that could hit a drive 400 yards. Well, Bryson can hit one about 379, which is not far off of yeah. <laughs> Happy Gilmore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this guy could really hit some bombs and you know, he he's unconventional, but you know what? He gets the job done. And they one of the quick criticisms they say is that his short game is no good. Well, his short game actually isn't as bad as you think it is because it's his short game that kept him in these tournaments. You know, he would hit those long bombs, but then you gotta make the rest of it come together. Little short chip or little short shot, put it in. So, you know, I want to definitely thank Bryson. He got a lot of hate. He's got a lot of haters. The guys won a Masters, and he's won some tournaments, and he won the Bay Hill just last week. And you know what? The guy is a legit golfer. To so much so that I really think it's a little unfair how they changed the rule, the golfing rule, because of Bryson. They didn't say it was. It was they didn't name him specifically. But right after the Bay Hill tournament that he won, they basically are saying now, because they talked about him hitting the ball and cutting the fairway, basically hitting the ball over fans and hitting it, <laughs> hitting it and figuring out strategies where he can actually, because of his power, have an advantage to get the ball closer to the hole. And he actually does have some good points. The guy's, his nickname is a scientist for a reason. He's had some good points. Yes, he might hit a ball over the fan's head, you know, like he did in Bay Hill. And it is unconventional, but you know what? He's thinking outside the box. They made a rule that say that, okay, we're going to extend the out of bounds. Basically, without using his name, they made a rule and basically in baseball, 
use the example, <laughs> they moved the fences back. And they didn't say it was because of him, but we all know why they moved it back. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> you know, so Bryson is a guy I would love to have on our show as well, on the Allen Harris Sports and Radio Show. I don't understand why the guy gets hated on as much as he does. He is a very good golfer, and I don't think it's fair how they had created these rules because of him. I definitely think that's way – that's not fair because the guy can hit a ball almost 400 yards. Now you want to change it where he can't hit a ball a certain age. You know, this is what I, my thoughts about the fans. Being a guy that plays golf, whether you're Tiger Woods, you're an amateur golfer, you're a beginner golfer or a novice, you can hit a bad shot, even if you're Bryson. So the best way to do it if you're a fan is to get – Maybe the safest way is to get behind the golfer. Don't stand so close to the side of the golfer. Even watching some of the films of Tiger Woods, fans used to get right on his back and right next to him in a line of path where you could potentially get hit if he were to take a bad shot. It's happened before. (laughs) It's happened before. Golf is a very difficult game. It's not easy. And a professional can shake a shot. You watch this lab, this this uh, the the Tory Pines. Uh, do you, you watch what's going on now at the TPC, which is a very difficult golf course. You see guys hitting the ball in the water, one after the other, one, two, three on that number seventeen hole, which is basically surrounded by water. You got to basically hit it right on that green, and you got to hit on that green softly for it to land. Otherwise, it's going to bounce off and land in the water. And you see guys pros one after the other hitting it in the water. So the point is being is that a pro can take a bad shot. So if you don't want to get hit, don't stand anywhere near the path of where the ball could potentially hit you. So I don't agree with them hating on Bryson and coming up with this new rule. I would love to have Bryson on our show for him to discuss it. I think he gets hated on way too much and it's unfair. And I know, uh, Page did take a shot at him for name dropping the fact that he won the tournament and he got a text from Tiger right before the tournament to give some some tips and she was basically criticizing him because he name dropped Tiger. But you know what? It may have been true. Like Tiger may have actually <laughs> texted him and boosted him up. And then yeah. that's why he won. So he gave Tiger Woods some credit. So I don't see what the criticism they're always looking for a way to criticize Bryson. And I just think it's it's an ego thing. I think people, guys know they can't hit a ball 300 yards on a drive, so they find a, find a way to hate on him because he could do it, and he could do it well. That's just my thoughts on Bryson. I mean, what do you thought? No, I agree. I mean, you look for somebody who maybe is, um, you know, you talked about him being a little bit unorthodox in terms of how he plays. So this is basically just – the media needs to clap, you know, have something to grip onto, um, if you will. This will all be over in a week. You know, after someone else wins the next tournament, this will all be an afterthought, like I said before. So, um, you know, it's unfair how they do it, but that, that's that's how the media works a lot of times. Is they they have to have something to to build on. They have to have something to talk about other than just how the the tournament went. So, again. <laughs> Um, you know, trying to whether it's trying to bring him down or just trying to create a story that really isn't there 
it's really unfortunate how uh, how the media works there sometimes. I just got to throw this out there real quick. Uh, too bad, media. You tried hard, <laughs> but no no avail. So. <laughs> That's right. Anything else to add here tonight? No, just definitely props to Bryson on his win. I appreciate him liking the comment on Facebook. I'm sorry, Instagram. It was Instagram that he liked my comment. And, you know, outside of that, I would love to have Bryson on the show. And we're going to work hard to get some other guests on the show, too. We're looking forward to more shows, more entertainment for the listening audience. We really appreciate you guys. Appreciate your feedback and appreciate you listening. But, no, that that's really all I have to say for today. Is Any thoughts you have? No, I just I think that um, as uh, as we get deeper into March, we're getting deeper uh, into uh, you know spring training, and you're going to have uh, player trades and cuts, and uh, obviously the regular season is only oh, just a little over two weeks away from kicking off. I guess like closer to three weeks at this point uh, from being uh, being started. NCAA tournaments uh, getting ready to get kicked off here. Looking forward to that primarily because we didn't have one last uh, last season at all. It, all uh, came to an end before it actually started. So um, we're going to have some really good stuff to talk about these next several weeks. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but uh, for uh, for Alan, this is Aaron uh, signing off here tonight, again, for March 12th, 2021. Thank you so much for listening. And if you didn't have a chance to listen to us uh, the entire show, we are available on uh, iTunes and uh, iTunes and that's iHeartRadio for playback. So thank you again for listening this evening. We thank you so much and have a great night.